The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. What's up? Your boy Dean Thomas here. Thank you for stopping by and having a listen. It's me. I'm back. Episode 8 of my own show. Oh, man. Dean's got answers. Answers to what? Answers to anything and everything. In this show, I'll break down the questions you have about the UFC and provide my answers. Now, they may not be the answers that you're looking for, but that's not why you're tuning in, right? You want to hear from me, Dean Thomas, UFC vet. Coach to the biggest names of the sport, co-star of Dana White looking for a fight, host of the Dean Diaries. I'm an analyst, podcaster, comedian, etc., etc., etc. I'm a whore. You pay me, I'll do it. But I'm going to keep this show simple. Each episode, I'll tackle three questions about the UFC. I'll give you my take and my opinion and answers to each. I'll hit on everything from the fun and wild moments the sport has to offer to the inner workings of the sport. No question is off limits. By the way, if you have a question for me, don't be afraid. DM me at Dean Thomas. Dean is spelled D-I-N. Oh, you know what else I'm going to do? Each episode, I am going to slide up into my Rolodex and holla at a homie for a second opinion. I'll bring on the biggest names of the sport and see if they agree or maybe they disagree with me. Today, I'm going to holla at a very good friend of mine. I've done a lot of work with this man. He is the head coach of Rufus Sport in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, home of many current and former UFC fighters. That is none other than Duke Rufus. On this episode, I'll break down and answer the following questions. First, who has the best post-fight celebrations? Listen, winning can be the highest of highs, and it's never been more evident than watching Michael Chandler carrying on like a wind-up flip monkey. Second is the what the fuck question. What the fuck is up with? And I'm going to talk about some crazy moments in the sport on this episode. What the fuck is in the water in Mexico? Now, the old traveling tip used to be don't drink the water in Mexico. The hell with that. If it makes me fight like Brandon Moreno, I'm drinking the water out the toilet in Mexico. And third, what is the problem with fighters coming up too fast? These little dudes barely shooting puppy water. Yet we got them in the octagon scrapping. After all that, I am going to rapid fire answer questions from the fans. You can't stop me, boy. So turn up the volume, kick back, and take heed to the words I speak. Let's go. Now there's nothing like the rush of a knockout or a finish in the UFC. 
most people will never experience it. Fortunately for me, I've been able to experience it, so I am speaking from the heart. It is orgasmic. But some of the most iconic moments of the sport happened right after the fight. That's right, the post-fight celebrations. So I must answer, who has the best post-fight celebrations? Now let me go through some of the top post-fight celebrations and then give you my answer. First, let's talk about Israel Adesanya's celebration after knocking out Alex Pereira at UFC 287. Now the storyline going into this fight was crazy. Pereira was up 2-0 in kickboxing. Then he hunted Izzy into the UFC, fought him at UFC 281, knocked Izzy out in the fifth round, extending Alex's lead to 3 to nothing in combat. But UFC 287 told a different story. Izzy came back with a vengeance. He put hands on Alex, knocking him out cold in the second round. And when I say cold, I mean out cold. Now the celebration at UFC 287 was cold. It showcased Izzy whipping out his bow and arrow and firing them at Alex Pajada. Izzy clearly had this rehearsed, and that's not all he did. He had some long-term beef with Pajada's son. Now, see, his son had mocked Izzy after he got knocked out in Pajada's kickboxing match, coming into the ring and falling asleep. So after the bow and arrows at UFC 287, Izzy pointed at Pajada's son in the crowd and did the falling asleep celebration as well. This celebration had everything and more. Oh, petty ass Izzy. If Izzy was a comedian, his name would be Petty Murphy. Now that wasn't the only memorable celebration after a knockout win. Michael Chandler went nuts after his knockout of Tony Ferguson at UFC 274. Michael Chandler kicked Tony Ferguson in the face in one of the most brutal knockouts you'll ever witness. Chandler was like, can I kick it? And Tony was like, yes, you can. What was even as good as the fight was the celebration itself. Michael Chandler immediately did not one, not two, not three, but four backflips. This man was out there doing flips like a dolphin at SeaWorld. He then proceeded to feed off the electric crowd and jump on top of the cage. And listen, I was there working front row and I couldn't believe my eyes. I sure was hyped. But not everybody is as fit and as jacked as Michael Chandler. There's one heavyweight fighter that loves to flip after his wins. This big boy comes in at 265 pounds. Chris Barnett at UFC 268. After Barnett's crazy spinning wheel kick TKO over Gian Vellante, he proceeded to do a celebration that defies physics. It defies gravity. Even me telling you about it now, you might have to suspend your disbelief. My man did a front flip celebration into a perfect sitting stance onto the octagon canvas. And the flips didn't stop there. After Barnett finished Jake Collier by TKO at UFC 279, he did the same celebration that he did at UFC 268. A perfect front flip into a sitting stance. Not only that, the boy got dance moves. If you let him, he gonna turn into Prince out there. This boy think he Michael Jackson. But I tell you what, he sure can dance. Another heavyweight has one of the most unique post-fight celebrations of all time, Tai Tuivasa. Now, Tuivasa is known for his shoey celebration. Now, what exactly is a shoey for those who may not know? A shoey is an Australian slang for having a celebratory drink out of a shoe. Now, Tuivasa does this at many fights, but specifically at UFC 269, after knocking out Augusta Sakai, 
Tuivasa jumped on top of the cage, was thrown a shoe and an alcoholic drink. He then poured the alcoholic beverage into the shoe and drank it. This shoey celebration never gets old and always gets the crowd amped. Personally, I find this shit disgusting. That's how you get herpes. I've had many nasty things in my mouth. Trust me, I've had my mouth in many dirty places. But guess what? I ain't doing no damn shoey. The next fighter with a fun post-fight celebration is someone with the blondest bowl cut of all time, Patty Pimlet. We love us some Patty Pimlet. This cat loves to dance after his victories. Now, one specific celebration that comes to mind happened in front of the UK crowd in London in July of 2022. After Pimlet submitted Jordan Levitt, he proceeded to put his booty in Levitt's face and do squat-like motions. Okay, let's face it. He teabagged him. We gonna call him Lipton. Then after that, he jumped outside the cage and was carried around the octagon on Molly Meatball McCann's shoulders. What a night that was. Now for me, my own personal favorite celebration was after my win over Jeremy Stevens at UFC 71. I know I'm dating myself. UFC 71, I submitted Jeremy Stevens. And afterwards, I got on the mic and I called out Floyd Mayweather to a real fight. Guess what? I never heard nothing back. But you know what? I got the crowd hype, and that was my claim to fame. So I mentioned five fighters that have unique post-fight celebrations. So I must answer, who has the best post-fight celebration of all time? This was a close race. The showmanship of these fighters was magnificent. But I gotta go with, drum roll please, I gotta go with, the 265-pound heavyweight from Tampa, Florida, Chris Barnett. Listen, there's just something about fat dudes dancing and flipping that makes everybody smile. So we've had three recent Mexican champions. Flyweight champion Brandon Moreno, interim featherweight champion Yair Rodriguez, and women's flyweight champion Alexa Grasso. So I must break down an answer. What the fuck is in the water in Mexico? Now this Mexican champion I'm gonna talk about has shown resilience throughout his career over and over again. It's Brandon Moreno who reclaimed and unified his flyweight belt against Davison Figueredo after a TKO stoppage after the third round at UFC 283. And one of the most compelling rivalries in the UFC, this was the fourth time they fought. Brandon used cage control, good boxing, and takedowns to stay one step ahead of Figgy. And in the third round, Brandon caught Figgy with a left hook in the eye, which Figgy thought maybe was an eye poke. But the replay showed that it was, in fact, a left thumb knuckle that made contact in Figgy's eye. The blow was clean. Brandon proved to be the better man. Brandon exemplifies that gritty, tough Mexican style. He fights with his heart. He has a no-quit attitude. This is a man that was once cut from the UFC and worked his way all the way back up to being a champion. What makes him special is his humility and relatability. He comes across as a guy who works in an ice cream shop in the mall, and his likability reflects that. But make no mistake about it, he will punch your head off of your shoulders. The next Mexican champion has flashy kicks and a very unique style. That's the interim featherweight champion, Yair Rodriguez. Yair won the interim featherweight belt in dominant fashion against Josh Emmett with a triangle choke submission in the second round at UFC 284. This was a fight that reminded us all how good Yair is. His speed was at an all-time high, especially the speed of his body kicks. The body kick is probably what initiated the takedown of Josh Emmett. But by that time, the damage had already been done. 
The pain and the distraction of that body kick, coupled with the violent elbows of Yair, allowed him to lock up that triangle choke. Now you can't say enough about the heart of a Mexican fighter. Now while Yair's style may be flashy and dynamic, the durability of his heart is consistent with that of that Mexican style. I've been a fan of Yair for many years, but what makes him special is his ability to evolve his own unique gifts. In an age where fighting is trendy and fighters abandon their strengths in order to follow the trends, Yair never did that. He just made his strengths stronger. The last Mexican champion I'm gonna hit on is a pure underdog story as she recently upset one of the greatest women fighters of all time. That's women's flyweight champion, Alexa Grasso. Grasso beat Valentina Shevchenko for the belt at UFC 285 in March after she submitted her with a face crank in the fourth round. If Tyler Santos didn't prove that the division caught up to Valentina, then this fight certainly solidified that idea. Alexa, a former strawweight, moved up and had a tremendous run at flyweight and earned herself a shot at the belt. But Alexa outsmarted the champ. She came out and fought Valentina primarily as a southpaw, throwing Valentina all out of sorts. And in the fourth round, Valentina went for a spinning attack, failed, and Alexa capitalized. Off with her head. How can you not be happy for Alexa Grasso? A straw weight, moving up, taking on one of the best female fighters to ever do it. Alexa wasn't expected to win, and I'm gonna be honest, I didn't think she was gonna win. I could not see a world in which she had the ability to win. But she proved me wrong. She believed in her team, her abilities, and the fact that she took a chance on fighting at Southpaw, something she's never done before. It's truly special. These three champions, Brandon Moreno, Yair Rodriguez and Alexa Grasso represent Mexico so well. So what the fuck is in the water in Mexico? I don't know what's in the water, but whatever it is, put it in a keg and drop it off at the crib. Mexican boxers have always been known for their aggressive, hard nose and forward moving style. It's in their blood to never give up on themselves and fight with their heart. These three fighters represent that to the fullest. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. 
With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. As the sport of MMA grows and evolves, we see more and more young fighters coming up fast and fighting at the highest level in the UFC. So I must answer, what's the problem with fighters coming up too fast? There's been multiple examples of this. The first is Bantamweight Raul Rosas Jr., who at 18 years and 63 days old, became the youngest fighter to compete in the UFC when he faced Jay Parrott. Rosas won that fight at UFC 282 by first round submission, but in Rosas Jr.'s most recent fight at UFC 287 against Christian Rodriguez, he lost by decision after gassing out in the first round. Like most teenagers, he never had to eat a doo-doo sandwich before. He came out, thought it was gonna be a walk in the park. Like a bat out of hell, he stormed across the octagon, took Christian down, and controlled Christian for the entire first round. But at what cost? It cost him his energy. It cost him his confidence. And ultimately, it cost him any legit chance he had at winning. While it may not seem relevant, life experiences can play a factor in the way you fight. When you have life experiences, especially ones of adversity, you can draw on those experiences to help you in adverse positions in a fight. Additionally, there's a time in your life when you realize the world doesn't revolve around you and nobody gives a damn who you are. Christian Rodriguez schooled Raul Rosas Jr. on that exact lesson. And not even the lack of respect that a young fighter might have toward the threat of his own safety, but there's other intangibles that play a factor that Raul may now have to respect, and that's the pressure. He was in a spot with so much pressure and expectation on him after a loss, even before doubting his own ability, he may begin to attribute that loss to the distraction of the pressure. But on the flip side, you got a guy like Max Holloway, who made his UFC debut at 20 years old. And he's had a long career after that. But it must be noted that Max took his lumps and did not have pipe-cracking pressure on him to succeed. So perhaps Raul learned his lesson. He's now humbled. He even reached out to Aljamain Sterling for some training. Another fighter who came up fast is MMA fighter Sage Northcutt, who made his UFC debut at 19 years and 216 days old at UFC 192 in October of 2015. He faced Francisco Trevino. Sage would go on to win that fight by TKO, but he would later suffer his first loss versus Brian Barberena in January of 2016 by submission. Now Sage was a bit of a different case than Raul Rosas Jr. because Sage was used to the spotlight. The problem with Sage was that his skill set was tied to his identity. His potential to be a complete well-rounded fighter suffered. He was a strong kid, a tremendous athlete, but no matter what he did and no matter how much he improved in other areas, he was always going to be the Hollywood version of the Karate Kid. And yes, he had title expectations because we all wanted to believe that he was going to be great. It's exciting to believe that we're watching the next phenom. To further answer the question, what's the problem with fighters coming up too fast? 
I'm a holler at a homie. I am pleased to welcome the head coach of Rufus Sport and to many current and former UFC fighters, Duke Rufus. Now it gives me great pleasure to introduce a personal friend of mine, my brother, Coach Duke Rufus. Duke, how are you? I am incredible. Thanks for having me on. Now, it is a pleasure. So we're talking about fighters coming up too fast. I sought you out, Duke. I said, no one knows this better than Duke. So what is the problem with fighters coming up too fast? Um, I think that uh, the toughest thing is everyone's trying to rush to get to the UFC instead of trying to stay in the UFC. Um, you know, a guy like Sergio Pettis, he started training me when he was 14. He had 12 fights before he went into the UFC at age 20. And you see the longevity. You know, I, I just think the contenders is, is a double-edged sword. Great way to fast track your career, but also it's a great way to speed your career up too fast where, you know, you're not ready to go into the deep water of the, of the UFC. Now, you had Christian Rodriguez. He was taking on Raul Rosas Jr. Obviously, Raul Rosas Jr., a young man, everybody was kind of pushing, and he was kind of one of my topics of coming up too fast. But you had Christian Rodriguez since he was young. How was you? How were you able to keep him in check in terms of, Listen, we're going to take a little patience. How were you able to do that? Um, it's just the, the timing of everything. I mean, uh, I think that one, we took a lot of strong fights outside the UFC to groom them for the UFC. Um, that's a big thing. You know, I think another thing, a lot of guys, they pad their records with tomato cans. And then when they get to the show, it's a different speed, different heat, different intensity, and then put bigger arenas, crowd hype. You know, you got to bring your guy up. And, and I think there's a problem right now in MMA. Everyone's trying to protect their fighter's record as opposed to build their fighter. Um, you know, Christian had two losses as an amateur, believe it or not. It's just he, he was learning the sport. And, and I think it's important to go out there and compete and challenge yourself and, and feel what adversity feels like. I think a lot of guys want that perfect record, like boxing. But that's why the Russian and Soviet states are so good. They grow up doing Sambo and they've won and lost so many times and they're able to bounce back from that. So how do you get your fighters, especially young guys, to buy into that mentality? Because... Like you said, everybody wants to be undefeated and everybody wants to fight fights that are good for them. And especially when you're dealing with younger fighters, how do you get them to buy into the idea that, hey, you should take tougher fights now and not try to pad your record? Um, I'm very blessed. I, I have a very, you know, homegrown group of guys that grow up in my gym and they, they already see the formula we did with Sergio. Um, you know, here's the crazy thing. The guy that Sergio beat in his first amateur fight, before the commission, Sergio fought um, at age 15. The guy Sergio beat in his first amateur fight, Sam Elvey's cousin. Um, so, you know, we were testing him always along the way. Now, a lot of people don't do that. They're looking for the easiest fights and uncalculated competition. Now, there's some exceptions to the rule. Say a guy like... Um, Bo Nickel, you know, he 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 was he was built in wrestling. There are some exceptions to the rule, but I think also when you're talking about young kids, I, I had my first pro fight when I was 18, and it's very overwhelming um, to be a man fighting boys. I, I think that Rosas is going to be a great fighter. It's just Christian Rodriguez is a better fighter at this stage of his career. So when you were preparing for Rosas, and and I, you know, it's funny because I was like, I know that. Duke is going to have him very well prepared for this fight. The only thing that I thought may get to Christian would have been the lights because there was a lot of spotlight on him. But 
when you were preparing for Rosas, did you what was it exactly that you were most concerned with? Everything that happened in the first round. Yeah. We knew the first round was going to be hell on earth. And if Christian got through that first round, defended properly, and was on his P's and Q's, defending um, all his attacks, he was going to do well and turn the tide of the fight. I got to give a lot of credit to Coach Chris Wright. He put Christian in those situations with another guy, Mark Choyansky, a three-time All-American wrestler from our gym, who's uh, great at riding legs and back riding. And uh, they just worked so hard on just dealing with the chaos of that situation. Drill technically knew, knew that, that the ice brought the T's and, and really just knew the ins and outs of that position because uh, in my heart of hearts, I felt that's only that's the only strength that Rosas had in the fight. Once they were standing, and once they got into favorable positions for Christian to grapple, it was good for him. Now, I remember you talking to me before about saying you like to get young martial artists when they're younger, you know, middle school, and groom them from that age. What are the advantages of getting them at that age and then being able to build them? They're just so coachable. Not that a guy older isn't coachable, but I've ingrained the philosophies that I want in him at such a young age. So it's the the communication factor that I have with, say, Christian, Sergio. Um, the Pettises have another uh, relative fighting in Combate. He's 19 years old, and he's been training with us as a teenager, too. So, again, you get a fast track on your coaching relationship. In fact, I'm really involved in grassroots MMA, um, Gamma USA, Global Amateur Mixed Martial Arts Association. We have a lot of youth MMA terms that don't allow head strike. I have a 10 year old kid right now who has 23 fights already and he's 10. You know, it's a very safe rule set, but they learn the game of MMA as opposed to learning everything, boxing, kickboxing, doing jiu-jitsu tournaments, wrestling. These kids are learning to do MMA. Rose Namajunas did those fights when she was young before, when she was growing up in our gym, Sergio did those. Christian has an 18-year-old cousin that's just phenomenal that grew up as a teenager as well, who has two amateur fights already. I'm very blessed. We have a great Latino community in Milwaukee. And back in the day, they would take their kids to the boxing gym and give them to the boxing coach. Now they're all bringing their families to buy and uh, they're bringing them to the MMA gym. You're seeing that tide shift with the Latin community. And um, in fact, Christian has another cousin who's 20 and is fighting. And he has a, a 10 year old cousin who competes as well. So it's amazing seeing these kids grow at such a young age. Um, I think the biggest thing is just getting them well-rounded though. I think that uh, Rosas, good fighter, but he needs to work on his striking and his wrestling more. So turning the page, we just saw that Bilal Muhammad got booked to fight Gilbert Burns. And I, I know that Bilal used to train there. How do you see that fight going? And do you think that Bilal Muhammad deserves a shot at the title? I think this is his way to the title. If he can defeat Gilbert uh, Burns, he, he's, he's a shoe in for the title. You know, the 70 landscape is a strange one right now. But, you know, sometimes, you know, it's not a matter of uh, whether you think you deserve the title shot. You know, in training world champions yourself, um, it just sometimes comes, it comes. You can't force it. So you just got to stay ready and be ready to take fights like this one. I think that it's going to be an interesting fight. You know, Gilbert has a lot of power, but uh, Bilal Muhammad has a gas tank, and I saw the fights five rounds. I think uh, the biggest thing that Bilal did recently is going and training with Habib and his team. 
that mentality that they have. And I think that's a huge advantage for him coming into this fight since he made a, a, a switch to going out to, to train with those guys. And then it's just, you know, their numbers don't lie. You look at the numbers and the success that those guys are having. And I think it's a huge advantage for Boal to be training with them. It absolutely is. And I mean, that is undeniable. Uh, a fight that happened recently, and I am like really happy that this organization now exists, and that's Game Bread Boxing. We saw Anthony Pettis, your guy, take a victory over a legend in Roy Jones Jr. To me, like with, like I was thinking, like how do you fight a guy like Roy Jones Jr., a guy that you grow up watching, a guy that like you you admire, everybody loves that. How was it coaching Anthony for that, and did you know that it would go that way? Man, I, I believe in Anthony. When he's on, he, he does uh, some spectacular things. He's very motivated for the fight because of the, the career change. Um, you know, it was surreal. You know, boxing, we usually watch each other tape the, our fighters' hands. It was wild before the fight. Here I'm watching Roy Jones get his hands taped. I mean, like, how and, do you do like, I'm like, oh, I my know. God. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I'm a huge Roy Jones fan. I love Roy Jones in his prime. And he, he I teach a lot of things he does. Um, you know, the, the key was just Anthony was cautious. He didn't fight him. He boxed him. He was uh, kept him outside. You know, Roy has lost a step um respectfully but it's still Roy Jones man he cracked Anthony with a couple shots that I was scared and uh he, he's amazing uh you know legend I think uh, it was a big win for Anthony but at the end of the day Roy Jones is still Roy Jones he Anthony had a great game plan he kept him on the outside and he used his youth to beat him um I know that Anthony's uh looking to box again but he did great um you know Anthony's been boxing for a long time he just didn't have an opportunity to shine I think he's actually better at straight striking than he is at MMA it's just MMA is what's uh been able to give him a lot of opportunities to uh, make life better for his family yeah, I remember talking to Christian about that. We did a fighter interview with him prior, and I said, did that win uh, over Roy Jones Jr. give him extra motivation going into this fight against Raul Rosas Jr.? And he said it absolutely did. It absolutely did wonders for the morale of the team, and he was happy that it happened the way it happened because, I mean, it really, the energy from that really carried over, and it, and it worked out for him too. No, well, it's, it's pretty neat. Anthony's got his uh, management company. He's got his fight promotion on the fight pass. And he manages Christian. And it's a neat perspective because uh, there's a lot of good managers in the business. But there's not a lot of good managers who fought like Anthony. And he can tell you the right things to do, the wrong things to do, teach you from his experience. And uh, he's, he's right now, most of my fighters are managed by um, Anthony's firm just because uh, he's giving a different return to athletes than a regular manager is he knows what these guys feel he knows the struggles they go through he knows um, what's going through their heads and, and and you know it's it's really paying off in fact anthony's the one who was able to secure this big fight for christian when he took over his career i love that and you know anthony hit me up a little while ago and asked how we get dana white looking for a fight over there and i'm going to pitch that idea because i would love to come 
back up into the Milwaukee area, wherever it is he's doing these shows, and hopefully we can get over there. Oh, that would be great. Anthony uh, never ceases to amaze me. He uh, is a special man. He, 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 whatever he puts his mind to do, he does it in grand fashion. I love his promotion. I love what he's doing. Um, you know, he's obviously trying to grow business, but I feel as if he's giving back to the industry too. He's got a very cool show, a great space for guys to grow. And he has no visions of, of grandeur that he wants to be a great feeder to the UFC, PFL, Bellator etc as, as opposed to trying to compete with them well duke you are one of the good guys always a pleasure to talk to you it was a great pleasure to see you last week or a couple weeks ago down in miami so i hope to see you soon man i hope you continue to have success and continue to flourish and i'll talk to you soon my man i appreciate you You're doing a great job um, and on the media and the broadcasting, I'm very happy for you. And you're doing a wonderful job. And I'm glad to see you have this show. Well, you know, I think you found your calling, my brother. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Have a good one. So what's the problem with fighters coming up too fast? Well, they lack the life experiences in order to deal with the pressure. Them UFC lights can be very bright. And if you don't have the emotional maturity to deal with it, it could be traumatizing. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of time in order to groom yourself into it. Something fairly new here on Dean's Got Answers. I ask for questions, questions about anything UFC or not, and I'm going to answer these rapid style. So from Cloud9 Chemistry, he asked, are you an AI robot? Hell yeah, asshole intelligence. From 978.kicks.com. Zero seven. What's your favorite thing about being a sports analyst? Look, I get to talk garbage about stuff that I'll never have to prove it I can do. From Donovan.tar, of all the athletes you've trained, who has been the most rewarding for you to watch grow? Jillian Robertson, without question. You have no idea where she came from. She was a shy, quiet little girl that couldn't bust a grape with a sledgehammer. Now look at her. From BMA Bahamis 3. What type of fighter do you prefer to work with? One, a brawler. Two, a technician. Or three, an artist. Never a brawler. They're fun to watch, but I don't want to work with them. Technician for sure. They are intrinsically artists in their own way. And from No Remacy, when do we get more Suck It Saturday? The nachos had me rolling. Look, I'm trying to get somebody to suck it for me every Saturday too. I told you Dean's got answers, so if you have questions for me, Hit me up at Dean Thomas on Instagram and Twitter. Dean is spelled D-I-N. Now, on this episode, you got my answers to these three questions. One, who has the best post-fight celebrations? Two, what the fuck is in the water in Mexico? Three, what's the problem with fighters coming up too fast? And a special bonus, and I answer your guys' fan questions, so keep them coming. Thanks for listening to Dean's Got Answers. We will be back in the near future with a new episode. Be sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dean Thomas. Dean spelled D-I-N. And leave a rating and a review for the podcast. Tune in next time as I'll have answers for everything going on in the UFC. Those are my answers. If you have questions, make sure to hit me up. I'm going to catch y'all on the flip. Peace. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. 
Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix.